Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Axis Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Media Mavens podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Pirates, the famous sportscaster and public affairs man. How are you, Joe? Very well. And how are you doing today, Sarah? I'm good. You know, the Lakers made it to the finals. Yes, they're facing the Miami Heat. And I'm not happy that they cut Doc Rivers just because the Clippers did a shitty job playing the Nuggets, but we're good. Yeah, well, in sports, you always say when it comes to management, it's easier to fire the coach than it is to fire the entire team. Okay, so this is actually makes me excited because my favorite NBA team and CEO is here today. So I want to bring Scott on board. Scott O'Neill, who's the Chief Executive Officer for his entertainment, the 76ers. He has an esports team, Digitas. He has the Devils out of New Jersey, I believe, Scott. If I screwed that up on Teams, let me know. But we're so excited to have you here today because it's been all about sports and entertainment with us for the past three weeks. Well, good. Sarah and Joe, thanks for having me. I, I very much appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. So talk to us a little bit, Scott. I, I, there's so much to talk about. And like you've shown such strength and leadership since I've met you, especially this past season. We've been in covid I know the Sixers were down in the bubble. Give us a little bit of background over at HB. What's what going on with you guys? I've noticed that Harris Blitzer has promoted and stood behind women lately and done a lot of promoting of these great women in marketing and community. I, I, there's so much you want to talk about with you right now. So let's kind of roll back. Give us a little bit of background of what you're doing at HB outside of the sports arena. And then let's sure. talk about NBA a little bit. Sure. So very fortunate. I've just completed my seventh season with Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. I work for two amazing men, Josh Harris and David Blitzer. Josh is from Apollo Global Management and David Blitzer at Blackstone, two just monster big private equity shops. They bought the team a couple of years before I started. And when I came in, it was, it was, it was very similar to, I, I think, how AEG started with the LA Kings as a tenant in the forum. And, uh, and I remember coming in and talking in my first staff meeting about a big vision. And I, I think I, I was met with more eye rolls than, than hand claps. And, uh, and it, was, it was a tough time. We just made a, a trade for Andrew Bynum, which, which didn't turn out to be a great trade. And that was before I got there. And then the season ticket base had been dwindled down to one of the lower end in the league. And our sponsorship base had eroded to one of the lowest in the league. Our brand was, was not exactly soaring. And our ratings were really low, almost all-time lows. And so, so as, um, as my father was fond of saying, you know, son, even you can't fall off of this floor. So, so the good news is, 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 you know, you fast forward seven short years later, and um, we led the league in attendance last year. We have a three-year sellout streak going. Had it not been for COVID, it had been a three straight seasons of 50-plus wins. We hadn't had, I think we hadn't had three 50-win seasons in the 25 years prior. So, so certainly a good turnaround on the court, off the court, you know, leading the league in attendance and leading the league in new full season ticket sales this, this year at this point. Our sponsorship numbers are up about seven times from when I got there. Our ratings are through the moon. 
but we're now one of the most followed teams in China. We also acquired the New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center. Prudential Center is now a top 10 book building in North America. Pretty incredible from, from where it was. Similar metrics on uh, tickets and sponsorship there. We've bought an esports franchise, which has been so fun, Dignitas. We've created a, an innovation lab where we incubate early stage companies. We've just started, uh, founded a real estate arm to do some real estate business. We have a venture fund called HBSE Ventures, uh, which is now on fund two after successful fund one. So we've got, oh, and we're, and we're partners in a sports marketing company with the 49ers, Live Nation, and OVG, all good friends, Tim Lywicki, Al Guido, and our good friends, Michael Rapino and Jared Smith over at Live Nation. So, I know Rapino and Wiki. I know those guys from our AEG Good people. Yeah, yeah, so so it's been a fun, it's been a fun, fun run. Wonderful people, the culture. It's one of those places where you go work and, and people seem like they never want to leave, which is pretty fun. So so it's 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 challenging, it's exciting. We have a platform for growth, we have the right owners. We have teens heading in the, the right direction, albeit a speed bump here or there, which is kind of typical in our business. But, but life is good. You've done so much stuff, Scott. Let's, I mean, we've been in COVID. You, man, and we've talked in the past that you've managed to keep your fan base rabid. Like the ticket sales are going out. They're following the teams. COVID fans are not in the stands. What are you guys doing to keep that fan interaction so high? For the 76ers, Katie O'Reilly is our CMO. We just promoted her to chief revenue officer, and Brittany Boyd will come in as to run marketing. Brittany's been with us for five years. She started as leading guest services at the Prudential Center. It's kind of an amazing journey she's had in a really quick time, but, but a tremendous talent. And Katie, believe it or not, I worked with when she was 21 years old, a recent graduate at the University of Michigan, and I was at the NBA League office. So I've seen her blossom from a, a young, recent college grad into extremely successful uh, working mom who's actually on maternity leave right now. And so generally in a, in a job like mine, you know, you, the, your, your best bet for success is to hire people a lot smarter, a lot more hardworking, a lot more talented. And so I, I've managed to if do nothing else, do that. And from a marketing standpoint, Katie has really turned this brand around and she's had plenty of help. She's got a, a great team around her, but boy, she, she is an incredible talent. So, and, and, you know, we have a really passionate fan base. So Philadelphia, if you're not from Philadelphia, it's a, it's a really hardcore blue collar city. It's not, it's a, it's a a city that's the second highest poverty rate of any major U S city. So, so we definitely have our fair share of of issues and challenges, but as far as sports go, you're not going to find a much more kind of spirited, passionate fan base than you'll find here. They just they just needed a little a little hope and a little something to get excited about, because certainly when I walked in, it wasn't the case. Let me yeah, ask you I, this: I've always been a Sixers fan, Joe. You're a Celtics fan, but we'll still yeah, let no. you do the podcast. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> let Let me ask you this, Scott. Being in a, in an area like Philadelphia, you have sports fans that are crazy, and you're also in a busy busy sports market because you're not the only game in town. It's, you know, you have the Sixers, you have, I mean, you have the Flyers, you have the uh, Phillies, and then down the road, you have uh, the Devils, which you guys also uh, take care of. How hard it was it to bring back that fan base, considering that, you know, other fan bases within like the Phillies and the Eagles, stuff like that, and teams like that were also fighting for that entertainment dollar. 
You know, I came from the New York market before, right immediately before. So I was the president of Madison Square Garden and running the, the Knicks and Rangers and Liberty, college basketball and tennis and boxing, all that stuff. And so if you want a competitive market, you roll into New York and there are teams on every street corner. I mean, that's <laughs> just like, you know, Yankees, Net, you know, Yankees, Mets, Nets, Devils, Islanders, Rangers. I mean, it, it, Red Bulls, NYCFC. I mean, it, it, it's almost like unbelievable. So uh, it was a bit of a reprieve getting out of there, quite frankly. But, uh, but when you're in Philadelphia, you, you're definitely like you are in every major city. You know, you're in a, in a bit of competition for attention. You know, I was fortunate in New York. I was, was with the Knicks when Linsanity took over, you know, and, and, you know, that, that could have just been just luck of the draw, good timing. And then in Philadelphia, you know, we had to trust the process movement. And, and again, I think you, you, you could argue that those two movements were some of the most impactful, influential kind of global movements that at least in, in my little um, slice of the pie corner of the world and from a team marketing end that took place. And I, I think some of the magic and secret to both of them were where one is, is they were, they were movements driven by the fans. So in, in both markets, I was fortunate enough to work, you know, we didn't adopt that, the, that language or those slogans. That was the, the fan, it was the fans language and our jobs are to amplify them and leverage our content and social media to give the fans a platform to create their own narrative. And so that, that's been our success in, in those two situations in those two cities. You know, fortunately, at least when I was at the Knicks, you know, we had a couple of good playoff runs the last two years and then in the six years, the last three. So I, I think, you know, when when a city gets behind a team, I think sometimes the, the fans forget that I, I guess I'm getting older as well. But fans forget they're just kids out there and and they're and they're and, and that might be that, that might not that might sound condescending to them. But at least when you get as old as I am, they're young men and and they have feelings and. And I think that if you can rally a city behind a team that can lift them up when things are tough or they're struggling on a particular shooting night or turn the ball over or miss a layup or make a mistake, I think it's the markets that rally behind these players and, and lift them up. And you can feel that like palpable buzz. And, and you know, we've been fortunate enough to have that in, in New York my last two years there and then the last seven here in Philly. And and we've had glimpses of it in, in the you know, with the Devils. We just haven't been that good on the ice, quite frankly, to get that there. And I like the fact that you guys went back to the uh, red, white, and blue because I remember when the when the Sixers went to the black, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what are they doing? They're getting so far away from what the Seventy Sixers meant. So that was my good friend Pat Croce, who I, I you know, we, we live about five miles from each other. He's become a mentor and friend over the years, and as a tremendous, tremendous guy, but he was very much into the pirate life and, and back then and, and did a heck of a team putting in an organization, kind of making it matter, making it relevant again. But yeah, I, I was much more partial to the red, white, and blue myself. And I just think those, even the filler we brought back across the front, which is kind of a homage to the past and the incredible history and tradition of this franchise. And what, what I think, I, I think that the world is upside down right now. And so it's, what it's reminded me, and I hope it reminds everybody, is that sports is a vehicle to bring people together and build community. We unfortunately um, are missing that now. We're working from home. We don't go to church. We go to the grocery store in a mask. Our kids are out of school. We're missing that sense of, of connective tissue that I think 
is kind of a, the competitive advantage of, of the American economy. And, and I think sports, that's why we need sports more than ever now. This, this is what is meant and intended to bring us together. And, and I miss it. And so, um, so I'm looking forward to, to this coming season. I'm looking forward to getting more fans back. And uh, but we've, got, we've got a ways to go. I think it's what, I mean, as human creatures, we're all socially driven to be in communities, whether it's at work, at home. And I know a big issue, like I miss sports, like it's not about the fashion and all the glamour stuff of being in PR. I miss being courtside for the Clippers. I was constantly at a Clippers game. I've hit every Sixers game that was in town against anybody, regardless, even though I'm from Phoenix and supposed to be a Suns girl, I'm always the side of the um, Sixers, but I, I miss being on the court. I miss that energy and that vibe, that experiential uh, from our sports clients. So I, I get it. And one of the things I'm hoping for as we get back is I'm hoping you guys start the season. All the sports teams could start out a new season with fans. Even if it's every other row, we need to get fans back and to feel connected again. It's what they're craving. But, you know, you have gone I don't want to focus too much on the Sixers as much as I'd love to. You have gone full circle. What made you go from sports to innovation? Because you're now in the Digitas, the esports arena. You have the accelerated programs. Is everything geared around sports with you, or is it more the innovation of what you could grow and produce having a great base of management there? You know, I think back when I got in this business in the early 90s, I'm gonna, my facts will be wrong, but I believe the Jazz sold for $13 million. You know, and you know, you look now in the last three transactions, I think have been over two billion. And so, we we certainly the game has certainly grown up right before my very eyes. And having the chance to to work for David Stern and and then Adam Silver, who I think will go down as the two greatest commissioners of all time in any sports league, and see them kind of shepherd this business to where it is today has been pretty inspiring. Uh, for those of us fortunate and blessed enough to work in the business, you know, these are big platforms with incredible access. And so, so I think our, our opportunity, or when you work for Josh Harris and David Blitzer, your obligation or what we signed up for together is to leverage the platform and access we had. Let's go build a company. And, you know, I, I, I just generally, you know, in, in the, the people I know are, are in this business you know, in sports and in entertainment. And so the, the innovation oftentimes, just because of the base, the strong base of the original team, you know, we have the opportunity to create businesses and opportunity. It also is a great uh, tool to recruit better talent. It's also a great tool to be able to shepherd some of your best talent that may be tucked under a superstar manager. And that person's kind of hitting up against that wall. And we can, we can, we can move her over to a, a bigger opportunity in a better spot. And so it's, it's been a kind of giving us an opportunity to, to increase the, you know, the, the value of overall value of the business. I think I came to the Sixers. I think the Forbes value was about 400 million and it's now uh, 2 billion, you know, and the six, I think the devils were at 350 and now at 550. So you've had pretty incredible growth over these, these seven years. I mean, I, I don't think that's an accident. You know, I, I think that both Gary Batman and, and Adam have done a terrific job, but it's incumbent upon us, the operators, to make sure that we're leveraging all this access we have. I mean, you look around, you walk around courtside, you walk around our platinum lounge at the Prudential Center, it's a who's who. And so, you know, we have to get to know them and provide opportunities to do business. And that's a lot of what we do. Uh, with the marketing side of the uh, the Sixers 
and the Devils. How much, how, what's the importance, I should say, of selling those jerseys, selling those hats? I mean, does that really make a difference when it comes down to what finances the uh, Sixers and the Devils? Well, I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he, he uh, works in Detroit for one of the big auto companies. And then I said, could you imagine if somebody paid you to wear your logo on their clothes, you know? And he started laughing. And, I, you know, the, the thing is, is from a financial end, it's, it's not that impactful. From a brand end, I, I don't think it could be any more impactful. And so, so we, we've been, we've had two, our two budding superstars, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, have been in the top 10 in jersey sales for the last few years. And so, you know, whether I'm in Shanghai or, or London or South Philly or LA, I'm seeing our jerseys everywhere. And if I have Sixers gear and I get the, I get the head nod and the trust the process, shout out too. So I, I think from a, from a branding standpoint, it's terrific. From an activation for our content, it, it matters. I, I think if you go back when I first got into the business, it was a much bigger piece of the pie. But as, as ticket revenue has grown and sponsorship revenue has grown and local media revenue has grown and national and international TV has exploded, and our international marketing has gone through the roof. It just—it's not as big a piece of the pie as those others. So yeah, you have the um, hockey team. You got NHL. You're an NBA. How are you balancing? You got two different seasons that overlap. I haven't seen a lot on NHL come out. I know NBA has been really pushing being in the bubble. I know you were down in the bubble for a while with your team for the playoffs and stuff. How's it going on the NHL side? Is that like a harder fan base to interact with? The come back to COVID or is it kind of a, just a balance between basketball and hockey right now? Yeah, I think that, um, well, it's a tremendous, you know, I, I think the hockey base is a, is a, is more narrow base, but much deeper. And the NBA base is more shallow, but wider. And so, so I, I don't know what the impact and influence of COVID will be in terms of, of attracting new fans. But in terms of keeping the bases, we've been really fortunate um, with both teams that our fan bases believe the story. We have two um, number one overall picks in Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. They're, 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 they're very young, 21 and 19. But they're, they will be the future faces of the sport, we think. I mean, I, I think the fans will gravitate towards them and will continue to build our base there. And Philadelphia, it is a, it is a scene. It's a scene to come to our games. I mean, it's where you, you want to be and you have to be. Nice. And so they, you know, once you get those seats, you never want to give them up. Let me uh, ask you. Something. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. When it comes to selling advertising, I, I've noticed this year, you know, you still see the advertising with, you know, you watch the games, you see the advertising there. Has that really taken a hit for you guys after uh, being told to be go, go to the bubble and have no fans at the games? You know, that, that business has changed quite a bit as well. But yeah, I mean, the answer, if it's a yes, no question, of course, it's yes. You know, we took a hit. But, you know, again, when I went, went, when I first got into this business, when they were still chiseling letters out of stone, you know, we were selling signs and, and we have really sophisticated marketers now, you know, Adam Cross and Owen Moore and Adam Davis, three of our, our heavy hitter deal makers, they're building complete, completely integrated marketing programs that, help achieve whatever the local goal is. So the brand is some of it. So we lost some revenue because 
you know, the, the brand of the games matters and it's important. But our, our best programs are ones that drive traffic or, you know, drive a social message or, you know, sell cars or whatever the client thinks or launch a new product, whatever they think is most important. You know, we're a fully integrated marketing shop that, that drives those solutions. So we've had a lot of great CEOs on here, Scott, and in all of our sports stuff lately, we've been all about teamwork makes the dream work. And the best CEO that I've seen in the PR firm from sports to entertainment, all these tremendous guys who've shown strength and leadership to build, to grind through, to make a difference and give back, such as you have all said the same thing as you mentioned earlier. The smartest decision they ever made was build a team around them that knows more than them. I mean, every great leader from Steve Jobs to Cuban, everybody, they've all said the same thing. We have a tremendous team. It's all about the teamwork on and off the court. Harris Blitz has done a tremendous job, I've noticed in the past few weeks, of equality and promoting you know, women in business. I know you guys took a big stand behind Black Lives Matter. You guys, is this something that you guys are now, you've always done, but it just was never really shined light on because of all the sports now in today's time? Or is this something that you guys are pushing moving forward, changing the culture of HB and the sports industry by promoting equality and women? Because you've had some tremendous women come up in the ranks the past few weeks, or you at least announced it. Sure. Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate. You know, I think we have almost uh, 40% of our staff is female. And, uh, you know, while that doesn't uh, hit the 51% mark, you know, it's traditionally a, a very male dominated business. Uh, that's changing across all sports. I always say it's like our sustainable competitive advantage. I mean, we, we just, those of us who've been around, you know, both men and women growing up know that women are all smarter. So it's really simple, you know, just hire smarter people. I agree. So, yeah, right. So, uh, so, so, yeah, so we are very diverse. Our chief operating officer, Laura Price, um, Donna Daniels, the general manager of our building. I mentioned Katie and Britt. Jillian Frechette runs marketing up at the Prudential Center. I mean, I, I could literally go, Susan Williamson's head of operations. I mean, I, I could literally rattle off and go on and on and on. It's, it's, it's a pretty- It's by women at the corporate yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 I say it's, the company's run by women. I mean, it's Yeah, really, I, you've always really said that every time I um, see you, always, it's all about the women. I love it because NFL has hired some tremendous women. They've kind of taken the approach lately to bring in more women on. We have a few coming on the podcast in the next month or so. So I love that from an NBA side in sports, and at least from HB, that you guys are taking a proactive role to have more quality on sports. Yeah, you know what I found? What I found about, I appreciate that. What I found about diversity, you know, again, I just go back to, to the history and say like, you know, this is generally... You know, I used to say we have great diversity. It's like old white men and young white men. And and, and that's changing. You know, that that's it's changed for us at Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, where when I came in in 12, 13, it was, it was generally just that. And and you fast forward now, and it's it's pretty inspiring to see some incredible people with incredible careers. And and a lot of them have been developed here, and it's, it's awesome. And it, it's not without challenges, issues, or problems, but, but diversity hiring, whether that be women or African-Americans or generally people of color. Like if you think you can snap your finger and create a diverse organization, you, you know, you're living in la la land. It, it takes time and principles and discipline and practice. And, and we're really fortunate. Our human resources group, Elizabeth Berman, another woman, head of our uh, human resources has brought an incredible discipline practice to making sure that whenever you are hiring, that you have a really diverse slate of candidates. 
And, and that's where it starts. That is where it starts, you know? And so, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate. If you look at our trajectory of, of hiring, it's, it's been great. And then what I found in, in previous lives and previous companies is once your diversity hits a, a certain level and you have enough diversity at senior levels, then it, it happens by itself. And you, you can, you can, you know, you don't need the, the, the guidelines, the rules, the restrictions um, that we put on our, our current hiring practices, because generally this, this might rub some people the wrong way, but we spend time with people who look like us and where we're from. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm a white male and my friends are generally white males. And, uh, and it's not an exclusive rule and it's not exclusive to me, of course. And, and my wife, generally her friends are female and it's, it's not an exclusive rule. But, but I think generally, you know, you have to break that cycle in a workplace and you, you break it by, you know, we put rules, like when I first started, it was half your candidates have to be African-American in our, in our case. And, uh, and it worked. So we're more diverse. Are we where we need to be? No. Are we very diverse compared to our counterparts? We are. Our bar is very high and we're continuing to kind of tweak and change to make sure that, that we can be a company that that can be be a place that feels very inclusive and it's a place that you'd send your your kid to come work. Yeah, Scott. They say it's, oh, sorry, they always say it's like laws of attraction. You're attracted to those most like you. So I, you know, and it's not, I don't think it rubs anybody the wrong way, Scott. I think it's just a fact. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the table. You're going to be attracted and want to be friends with people that show leadership, strength, you know, show um, inspiration, motivation, you're going to be migrating to those most like you. And that's just been a rule of thumb for centuries. I don't know if there's a good or bad way to break that. But I think nowadays you guys are showing tremendous adversity. You're showing women, you're showing so much support into the industry across the board more than any other team out there. And, you know, it's impressive to watch that because it's sports is a very male dominated industry. Let's just be honest. I mean, it always has been, but we're seeing more women higher up in the ranks. Those that the fam- the Niners have that female coach for the first time and everything. And it's such an inspiration. And I don't want to go into the whole female first conversation with you guys, but it is an inspiration to see more women. Up no, it's fantastic. You're so right, Sarah. And I, I would just say that like diversity hiring is not uh, charity and it's not for show. It's for competitive advantage and strength, you know, Oftentimes, if people are the same, you know, if, if you want to have new ideas, get a new perspective. If you want to have everyone tell you that you're really smart and your ideas are awesome, hire people exactly like you. And that's not, that's not a way to grow. It's not a way to innovate. And so to be different, you need to look different, at least than we have in the past. And I, I think that's been, uh, been something that's been smart. You always need a new perspective from those around you to grow, push out of your boundaries, be a better person. What's up, Joe? More sports questions. Oh, well, no, actually, this is what about, you know, giving back to the community. And I noticed that the the Sixers do that quite a bit. Is that part of you, Scott, that, you know, part of the Scott O'Neill that wants to go out and affect positive change in their community? Yeah, that's a loaded question. I I would say (laughs) that, I would say that, you know, um, I just turned 50 this year. So I can tell you that, you know, when you're younger, you're a little more ambitious, different things, you know, get your Jones or, you know, and so for me, what's impactful for me and gets me hopping out of bed in the morning is, is one developing the next generation of great leaders. I'm really passionate about it. Like I, 
I, I love my team. I spend a lot of time with some of the, the younger stars to try to figure out how we can help transform this, this industry. And I'd like to do that through the leaders of tomorrow. That's, that's gets me out of bed. And the other ones, you know, to, to leave the, the world a little bit better and I found it. And so for, for me, I think there's no better platform to change the world than through sports. And, and I used to think that was disappointing, you know, because it is just a game. But when, as I get older, I recognize that, that this, whatever this is in sports matters. And we have that connection to our past, whether I remember my mom took me my first Knicks game. And, and that's, you know, when I fell in love with the NBA. And I was nine years old, sitting way up in the rafters, watching Chuck Robinson and Marvin Webster, bad team, Rory Sparrow. But anyway, the thing is, is therefore you have that, that connection and therefore what? Well, therefore with young kids, like we might be able to have a program that fosters exercise or leadership or helps them focus on math. They might, other, not, not, might not otherwise do. We can provide incentives. We can provide access. And so I, I think um, for us, I'm, I'm passionate about young people, in particular junior high and high school kids. And seeing if we can leverage sports to to make a difference. I think I'm going to probably annoy a lot of people or rub them the wrong way when this goes live in a few weeks. But I think when you're always in sports, you have that determination, that discipline, that drive to be the best or be part of a team because you're in sports. So you're always, and I was in sports, so you're always driven from a younger age to be disciplined, focused, you know, accomplish your goals, be motivated to others around you. And you have that ambition and drive because as a leader, as an adult for companies, because you just had that mentality as a young kid to drive forward and never give up to keep going. I think that's a common quality we find in CEOs and leaders from startups to sports, music across the board. So, you know, you have your accelerator. So are you finding that some of these startups that are coming in, are they having that same drive, ambition, that same level of characteristics, you know, drive, ambition, push forward, do good to be a CEO? Because we all know it's hard in the tech space to be a startup and you're giving these guys such a tremendous chance more than others. But do you look for that kind of, not to go one way, male, female, but that talent of competitiveness, drive and ambition to be a better person in your startups? That's a good, good question. I mean, we, we preach and teach a lot of mind, body, soul development in our shop. So, you know, all of our, we do monthly leadership developments company-wide, and then we have segment breakouts that do a little more frequently. And a lot of it's just around how you develop your whole self. I can tell you that the new generation coming up, I, I, I've fallen in love with this generation. And they're difficult for sure, but I, I identify with them. They're, they're willing to work hard. They're smart, relatively smart. They want access. They want opportunity. They want to be in the corner office tomorrow, but they're willing to work for it. I, I, I truly love the, the leaders coming up. In terms of our innovation lab, I mean, I'll just give you a couple of our, our companies, U.GG is a company, Shingo Liu is the CEO, and they help train esports athletes. And after like eight months in the lab, they were like the 2000th busiest website in the world. And he's, I mean, their whole management team is off the charts. So they're pretty inspiring. And then Jay at uh, Hydrant, Hydrant was doing, I think $5,000 a month. It's a, it's a hydration packet. 
And I guess it's something like you drink 12 ounces of water and it's it, with this packet, it's the equivalent of drinking a, a gallon of water. And, uh, and they're, they're smart and driven. Now they're in Walmart and they're doing like, you know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And so you see these little tiny companies and, and these incredible CEOs and, and they dream and they work and they, they put their money where their mouth is. And, and I, I, that's why I love about the innovation lab. I mean, every time you turn around, there's another great success story of a young entrepreneur with a dream. And by the way, they fail all the time. And I love that. I, I love the notion of failing because you can't break new ground without being willing to break an egg or two. And, and they, they fail. And you know what they do when they fail? They just pivot because there's too much at stake. And, and I love the notion. I feel like, feel like bigger companies, when, when you get bigger, you know, you get more conservative. You're a little more concerned about what the story might be when you trip and fall. I've got plenty of those if you Google my name. <laughs> they would say you, you can't grow if you don't fail. I mean, everybody, no, no, we've so all true. failed a few times to grow into who we are and what we do. And we work a lot with startups. And, you know, the, we, our big thing was it was less about investing in the products because you have a great product, but a really poor leadership. The product goes nowhere. But if you have really great, like Aquafund, you really great leaders, you could put more money into the R&D, but you can't replace a really good leader. And I expect our clients to fail grow, pick back up, put the bootstraps, learn, become smarter, more intuitive, more substantial. So I, I think the fact that you have this innovation lab is tremendous to where you're going because HB is not just about sports, entertainment. You got the um, eSports. We haven't talked about eSports. You have some some of the top women, I think, um, gamers are with um, Digitas, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we have a world champion CSGO team. Women. Yeah, that, that's a big time, like, woman power type type deal. So yeah, we've been really impressed with our CSGO team. They're they're incredible competitors. They're incredible advocates for the brand. And while it's not a very big business, we think that they continue to inspire us to be better at everything we do. I feel like it's HB's Women of the Year coming up. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? It's, it's been tremendous. But I, you know, I, and I don't want to run out of too much time because I do want to talk about two very important things, but you know, where is, where are you guys with the future post pandemic with the sports teams right now and all of this? Yeah. So it's a, it's a very complicated time. You know, we've been fortunate enough to, to keep our staff in place and intact. And, and I think that's going to pay dividends, you know, our, or not to be too insular, but our, our sales cycle for 21, 22 starts in February. So, so for us, for those teams, unfortunately, who, laid off their sales and service teams, uh, you know, I, I think you're looking at a three or four year setback in terms of the, the business just in general. I and mean, I think that's going to be a tremendous, tremendous challenge. So, so we're doing the best we can to keep um, everyone intact. We, we have had, had, had attrition uh, quite a bit. And so we're not replacing open roles, which is putting, you know, a little bit of stress and pressure on the organization. But generally our philosophy is, is that we, we love the team, the management team, it took us a long time to assemble this kind of talent. It took even longer to create this sort of culture. And we're going to try to try to keep it intact so that when we come out, we're going to be shot like a slingshot um, for 21-22. So let me, let's do, before we wrap, Scott, let's talk about your book. You know I was going to bring this up before we got off this call. I'm so excited. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? I know it's coming out in Q1. Can you tell us what the book's about? And, sure. Um, sure, the premise sure, sure. Of why you wrote it? Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a sad story to, to why I wrote it, but uh, you know, my best friend, unfortunately killed himself 
a couple of years ago. And um, his name is Will Carden. And uh, five kids, amazing wife, great family. And he was suffering from depression, uh, something I didn't really understand at the time. And after I spoke at his funeral, which was quite a humbling experience, and then I fell into, I was pretty grief stricken. And I, I'd never experienced grief before and used writing as a way to kind of pick me up and lift me up. And so the book is called Be Where Your Feet Are, which is a, a term we use at work. And it, it goes through a lot of principles, kind of life leadership principles that uh, we've used at work and at home. And so it's a, it's a fun read. It's loaded with stories of, of friends who I've met along the way and have different journey journeys and, and experiences. I'll give you a couple of the, the things we talk about. One is API. It's a assume positive intent. And that's effectively like giving someone the benefit of the doubt. And um, if you grew up and had a brother or sister and you had a problem, you know, at, at breakfast, if your sister came down wearing your shirt or your brother accidentally spilled the milk and you started yelling or screaming, you're not assuming positive intent. And so we, we use that as a kind of our, our languages, our love language we use at work and we use at home. And uh, they're, they're, instead of just writing about assuming positive intent, I just use several stories to kind of weave the messages in. So a quick, easy read, fun read. Um, St. Martin's Press is publishing it. I'm really excited. It's been kind of a, a bit of a, a labor of love. That's so funny because I think you and I first met a few years ago. And the reason why we, we met for business or networking or something, but I remember us having our first conversation. We had the same similar story. Both of our best friends committed suicide, depression, like yeah. months apart. And I think that's kind of what we, our first conversation, which is odd given who we are, was around losing our best friends and how tough that whole thing was. But I just, I watching you evolve and write this book has been an amazing experience. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I will say too, it's obligatory whenever anything this comes up is that I, I just didn't get it, meaning depression. Like I knew he was sad and I was with him a couple of weeks earlier. But, but if you, if you have a friend who's, who's struggling and down and, and in this type, type of isolation, it'll exponentially impact a person. And so I just encourage you um, not to sit back and assume everything's okay or sit back and assume that somebody else is covering it. Just make sure you just reach out and give a virtual hug and check in. And, and if a person needs help, make sure they get it. Well, I think the thing is that what always bothered me since I lost my best friend is it was always masked and hidden. But my big thing is right now is just because somebody smiles doesn't mean they're happy. It just means they're strong and they know how to mask it. So I do agree with you. It's always important to check and not assume because somebody's smiling, everything's okay. They're just strong enough to hide it good enough. Mm, that's for sure. Else. So, but, oh my God, Scott, I was so excited. I never ran out of time. I'm so excited that you're here joining us today. For anybody who, big sports fans, startups, you want to get involved with the innovation labs, where's a good place to direct everybody to? HBSE.com. Go to our website. Check out. We'd love to, we'd love to have you. Love to see you. Perfect. Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, with Joe Pirate and Scott O'Neill of the Sixers. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate you both. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.